The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. 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 This is MRN Radio, the voice of NASCAR. The Motor Racing Network presents an original podcast series, 50 Years, the voice of NASCAR. Earnhardt is using every inch of racetrack, and Elliott gets together with him. Earnhardt goes off in the grass. Certainly his style and his ability on the air, the way he painted a picture. Brings the car back onto the speedway and keeps it in a straight line and holds onto the lead. Juan Pablo Montoya's car has blown apart right with the jet blowers that were working to the high side of the banking. That was so weird because I was taking a little break. I had a little snack and I was drinking some water. All of a sudden I heard this boom. Tony's screaming and hollering and he grabs me by my shoulders with both hands and starts shaking me like I was on fire. That's him screaming. He is a Daytona Beach native. (laughs) He's grabbing and hugging me. Welcome back to MRN Presents 50 Years, the voice of NASCAR. I'm Fred Armstrong. Ride along with us as we continue our journey through some of the standout moments of MRN's NASCAR coverage. Over the years, the Motor Racing Network has been the proud host to several heads of state and a few sitting presidents. In 1984, President Ronald Reagan's timing couldn't have been better, landing Air Force One in Daytona to witness one of the most iconic moments in NASCAR history as Richard Petty took the checkers for the 200th time in the Firecracker 400. They will have to complete the final two under caution to make it official if Petty can come around and complete the final two laps, assuming there's no damage to his car from bouncing back and forth with Yarborough, he'll win his 200th career NASCAR race. Just unreal. These thousands of fans who are here today have seen history made at Daytona with Richard Petty, if this holds up, as he came across the line by, as you said, it was so close from where I was looking, I really couldn't tell. Had to be a photo finish. If they finish under caution, and apparently they will. Here is Petty coming out of turn number four, and the fans are cheering him on as he comes down to the line. Harold Kinder displays the checkered flag for Richard Petty, the STP Pontiac, Mike Curb Racing Associates, wrenched by Buddy Parrott, will be going to victory lane, and it will be Petty's 200th career NASCAR Winston Cup victory, a mark that, well, when Petty won his 100th race several years ago, they asked him what his, his next goal would be, and he says, well, to win 200. It all, it's all got to come to you. No matter how good you run, no matter how... This is Richard Petty that we're here and talking to President Reagan. got the break when the boy crashed there at last. That was a break. I don't know what I'm going to do last lap. The man has been doing this, President Reagan, for over 25 years, and he looks like he's as good as he ever was. He sure does. We've been at it, I've been at it all my life. My father used to run when I was like 10, 11 years old. He, he ran these kind of cars, and then when I got old enough, I started. Wow. And now I've got a son out there. Yes. It didn't look like he'd done too good no, today. Well, he, he ran pretty he good for a while, and then he had some trouble. Yeah. Had some trouble. But, you know, it's sort of a family tradition deal. You know something? Doing good I with found it. out most of the people here in front were your fans. They do real good for me. <laughs> I've been here longer than anybody else, so more people know me. 
I guess what the deal is. Wow. By coincidence, Richard is chairman of the Reagan-Bush Racing Committee as well, which is the deciding thing I think also to point out. Well, I think it is too. That's my curve making that statement. Richard, let me ask you one racing question. President Reagan asked you about that pass on the last lap. Of course, you knew that Kale was going to make that pass going into turn three. Then uh, you had to plan accordingly. Well, see, we ran into the same thing. Experience, okay? I, I ran the same thing in 1976. David Pearson done me the same thing. And I got back by him when he went in and went in too hard and went high, and I got back by him. The only thing was David and myself crashed, and David wound up winning the race. But this time, I was a little more cautious of what's going on, even though we hit each other two or three times. The deal was I never got by him as far as what I got by David. So the deal was I knew that if he went in there wide open, his car wasn't going to work. It, for me to be in exactly the right place to be able to make the turn without having to let off the gas. And uh, I was able to do that. Then the slow car helped me too. Because what happened, it, was give, it didn't give uh, him any room to manipulate. All he had was the wall. And, uh, you know, so from that standpoint, we just got lucky. Getting that 200 under these circumstances has to be one of the greatest things that's happened to you. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's just super, uh, you know, with the president being here, it's going to be, you know, way that much better PR for me. But you got to figure now, I'm out campaigning for him too. So maybe I can help him. And being I'm running 200, then it might, might help his career a little bit too. That's fine. I'll be looking over my shoulder for you along about November. <laughs> I'm going to be helping you, you can bet on that. Richard Petty ran his final Daytona Clash before the eyes of another sitting president in 1992, George H.W. Bush. For Winston Kelly, the interview was nothing less than the thrill of a lifetime. Clearly one of my most memorable moments in life, not just in racing, uh, that before the 1992 Firecracker 400 in Daytona, it was Richard Petty's last race, and, and Richard was a big Republican, and they'd invited uh, President Bush, 41, to come down and be a part of it. And back then, when the gentleman Start Your Engines was done, uh, we held a microphone up so the Grand Marshal, who was President Bush, would say it. And being working in the middle area of Pitt Road, I got to do that a lot, and had gotten to meet people like Ted Williams and folks like that. So... Uh, when it came time for all this to take place, they had his area all cordoned off, and he was sitting in, I believe it was a, a Pontiac Bonneville pace car that uh, he and Bill France Jr. were sitting in. And TV was going to show it, but they weren't planning to interview him or be a part of it because they had a policy back then. If they didn't give the other party equal time, you know, they didn't do that. So it's all cordoned off. And I'd already been cleared and told I could just walk up to the car. So they're sitting in the car, and I went around to the driver's side where Bill Jr. was and asked him, you know, would, you know, should I just hold the microphone through there? And he kind of looked at me like, you know, no, go around to the other side. He's, he's okay. So I go around to the other side of the car and kneel down. And here I'm talking to the president. And then uh, somebody came up and said they want you to do it from standing outside the car. So he got out of the car, and Bill Jr. came around car and there was a little bit of delay from the tv standpoint so probably for about three or four minutes it felt like an eternity i'm standing there talking to the president of the united states and the president asked car and i'd been on mrn for about four years in and i'm like what doesn't fit in this picture but he was the most genuine down-to-earth authentic person he was actually going to faith north carolina that's about 30 miles from where I grew up to be a part of a big July 4th parade. So we got to talking about that and just different things uh, and did the Start Your Engines. And uh, Daytona Track sent me to 
huge pictures, one of me kneeling down beside the car talking to him, another one from me standing there holding the microphone when he did the start your engines. And I would have to say uh, those are two of my most prized possessions, along with this picture of uh, Richard and Junior and, and the Petty Clan here. But uh, just that whole experience, and, and it was surreal that I'm standing there with Bill France Jr. and President Bush for several minutes waiting for that. Just having a conversation uh, was just unbelievable. According to former MRN President David Hyatt, presidential visits were always a thrill, but a bit of a headache logistically. Those were both great moments and difficult moments because when, when you had those dignitaries, especially those highly elected officials who came to town, you know, the, the facility always had to deal with alternating what you do. And as you've been around a racetrack, and you know, there are restricted areas anyway, and you have to have credentials, stamps, stickers, and bracelets, and everything else to get where you need to go. Uh, when a president, sitting vice president, or even a campaigning nominee came to town, uh, if they already had secret service, then it was a situation where we all had to adjust for it. And all of those uh, had their own special moments. Uh, one of them uh, that jumps out to me is when Secret Service actually dressed as pit crew uh, on at Daytona 500 when George W. Bush, I'm sorry, George H. W. Bush came to town. They dressed in pit crew uniforms uh, so that it wouldn't look like they were overtaking and interrupting the pre-race ceremonies and still get the race off and still protect the president. I think for me, one of those moments, um, and, and there are a couple more, one I only heard, I didn't see, and that was when uh, I wasn't around then, but when Ronald Reagan came, and Reagan gave the command to start the Daytona 500 from, actually it was the, the what was then the Pepsi 400 in July, gave the command on Air Force One as he was en route to Daytona Beach, and then later in the day had the chance to be on the air, call a little action, uh, and Ned Jarrett did the interview with Reagan when he was there. That turned out to be the day Richard Petty won his 200th race. And there is a great picture of Richard Petty and Ronald Reagan eating Kentucky Fried Chicken in the garage at Daytona after that. So very big day for the sport. When President George W. Bush visited the MRN booth for the 2004 Daytona 500, Hyatt played along as anchors Barney Hall and Joe Moore beckoned the Commander-in-Chief to render a little play-by-play. -play. Another special element has been added to the Daytona 500 here this afternoon that has just stepped into our booth, the President of the United States, George Bush. Welcome to Daytona, sir. Th thank you, sir. It's, uh, it's an unbelievable feeling to be here. I saw you down on pit road talking with some of the drivers down there, and uh, it, you're, the, the uh, armed services are very well represented with, with cars in our division now. Well, I tell you, uh, NASCAR, NASCAR fans, uh, car owners support the United States military, and I know our troops really appreciate that. I know your relationship with the France family goes back a long ways. It does. As a matter of fact, uh, we've known them for a long time. They're great entrepreneurs. Uh, the thing that makes us, their business successful is they care deeply about their fans, and uh, they run a good business. Our broadcast is being uh, heard worldwide over the American Forces Radio and Television Network, and so all the uh, troops around the world listening in today to hear what's going on, and we've got a lot of race fans among that group. I know you do, and uh, there's a lot of fans in America here that, uh, uh, fans of our United States military because of the character of the men and women who wear our uniform, really proud of them. They're making a huge difference in terms of peace and freedom, and their commander-in-chief is, is really grateful. 
it's kind of fitting that you would come to see us here at Daytona because we did come to visit you back in December. The, yeah, you uh, did. <laughs> cars out there on the White House lawn. And I might tell you, it created a lot of excitement in Washington, D.C. There's a lot of NASCAR fans in, uh, in Washington, and uh, the drivers were there. These drivers are great athletes. They're well-conditioned people. They're focused. They're disciplined. And uh, they're in for a heck of an afternoon. The Daytona 500 has been called the Great American Race. That has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Well, I can see why. If you were here uh, seeing what I see, you'd see Great American Race because a lot of Americans here who are really uh, have made this not just an event but a spectacle. You've got some uh, pretty good race drivers from your state of Texas, uh, the Labonte brothers well, and, do. of course, the legendary A.J. Foyt. That's exactly right. The Labonte boys from Corpus Christi, Texas. As a matter of fact, I had dinner with a fellow from Corpus Christi last night who said uh, to want me to tell the Labonte boys good luck. They'll be tough here today, that's for sure. Field is working behind the pace car here. We're closing in on the start of the Daytona 500. You got to stay with us for a few minutes. Watch some of this. I'd love to. This is a pretty good seat. You got right, we may put you to work here in a few moments. <laughs> <laughs> Cards are working behind the pace car, going down the back straightaway. We're coming around uh, very shortly to get the start of the Daytona 500 here today. A very special day again with the President of the United States being here with us. And again, our broadcast being heard on over 500 radio stations around the country and worldwide on the American Forces uh, Radio and Television Network. All the eyes Want to go on this place here. today. That is for sure. The field will be given the indication one lap to go when they come back around and cross the start-finish line. And we're going to lose one of our, our great people in, uh, in racing that will be moving up to Washington, and that's Joe Gibbs. So if anything you need to know about this business, you can just touch base with him. Well, I saw him down in the pits. He is one class act. He's a really a good man. He's got some good race teams. He really, really, the, the two drivers he has here this afternoon very much in contention to win this thing. Well, I can understand why, because he's well organized and he knows what he's doing. When he takes on an assignment, he's good at it. When we were at the White House back in December, you made mention of a number of people on Capitol Hill that follow NASCAR racing. Uh, well, there are a lot. Uh, you know, there's a lot of congressmen from all over the country that, that keep telling me, said, if you want to, you need to go see a NASCAR race. I said, I already have one. They go see another one. <laughs> you can't see enough, they tell me. How about yourself? You listen to MRN radio up at the White House? Well, I, look, I watch TV. and oh, uh, you need to listen to the radio. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know your, your dad was very much uh, into our sport. I remember when we uh, first started going to New York to do the awards banquet up there at the end of the season, he made an impromptu visit to us uh, one time. That was when Bill Sr. was still alive. Oh, yeah, he loves, uh, he loves uh, uh, car racing, and he, 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 like me, likes the spectacle, but he really likes the people involved. There's, there's some fine, fine Americans involved in this, in, this, in this sport. I tell you what, when you come to a stock car race, whether it's the Daytona 500 or any of the races that NASCAR does, you see a true slice of America. Absolutely. And uh, uh, when, that, when those jets flew over here during the Star Spangled Banner, the roar was as loud as the jets. One of the most impressive things that I've seen, I've seen it a couple of times at different events, is Air Force One flying over like you guys did when you first came in here this afternoon. That is truly impressive. Well, it's a, it's a plane. It's a magnificent plane that reflects the magnificence of our country. And it's a, it is, it is a, it, they flew by and we, we, we got to see the scene and you got to see the plane. And it was a, really, a, Air Force One is, I'm a, it's an honor to be on it. I'm sure it is. I, I know you can't have a favorite of this race this afternoon. You've got to be a little bit impartial like we are, but I'm sure you'll be pulling in one sense for the boys from Texas. Well, I am. The Bonnie boys are good, good boys, and, you know, Texans are Texans. We kind of pull for our own. But nevertheless, uh, there's a lot of great people racing, and I've been honored to have had the honor of meeting quite a few of, 
race car drivers, and I've been impressed by them. They're good, honorable people. Mr. President, you're always on the job no matter where you go, but it must be kind of nice to come out on a beautiful afternoon like this and, and take in a NASCAR Nextel Cup Series race for a change of pace, if nothing else. Well, it is. It's <laughs> great to get out of Washington, believe me. And uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's such a beautiful day here. And the atmosphere is magnificent. There's electricity in the air, as they say, and there's a reason why, because a lot of people view this as, uh, as the beginning of a great season of NASCAR racing. I'll tell you what we'd like you to do if, if you would like to do it. When they come off turn number four and that pace car hits pit road, would you like to say here they come to the green for us? Sure. You, you pinch me when I'm supposed to I'll say here they it. come to the green. <laughs> All right. They're swinging up into turn number four right now, led by the pace car, 43 drivers, chasing a purse of almost $16 million here this afternoon, but I don't think the money's on anybody's mind at this point. The, the thing on everybody's mind in this field this afternoon is go to victory lane, get the trophy, and be a winner of the Daytona 500. Pace car about to ease off on the pit road right now. 43 of the best stock car drivers in the world, about a 1,000 feet away from the start-finish line. And to call the start of the Daytona 500, the President of the United States, George Bush. Here they come to the green. And they're on the way up into turn number one with Dale Earnhardt Jr. on the point. Elliott Sadler in the outside front row, stacked up double wide all the way through the field. And now more straight talk from Straight Talk. The big wireless companies say they're the only way to get the best coverage. Because they've got like a kajillion cell towers? Something like that. But Straight Talk Wireless runs on those same towers, so you get the same great networks for up to 50% less. I wonder if they're counting that one in Kickapoo, Kansas. Oh, boy. Switch today and get our unlimited plan for just 45 bucks a month with 25 gigs at high speeds and no contract. Straight Talk Wireless, no contract, no compromise. Savings may vary. See straighttalk.com. When Richard Petty claimed his 200th victory at Daytona, he was already NASCAR's only seven-time champion and held that distinction for over a decade. Richard Petty taking a high line in the fourth spot, and they're all one, two, three, four, five into four. Well, only about 2,000 feet to go. It's Benny Parsons. Here comes Allison to the outside. Yarborough, third, Petty, fourth, Baker, fifth. Down to the start-finish line for the Times 500. It is Parsons. Allison will not get around him, and Benny Parsons will win it. Allison will finish second. Finishing third is Cale Yarbrough, and Buddy Baker might have squeezed by Richard Petty for fourth position. Richard will finish fifth, but it will clinch his seventh consecutive, like not consecutive, but his seventh Winston Cup driving title for Richard Petty. And give Petty all the credit in the world, Mike Joy, because all he had to do was just ease it around the speedway, and he's just not that kind of a race driver. He tried as hard as it's possible to win this afternoon. Petty's reign as the sole septuple titleist came to an end in 1994 as Dale Earnhardt took home the crown. In a bit this time. Soft lap traffic ahead for the race leader, Hutch Strickland and John Andretti ahead as Mast has one more shot at Earnhardt. Here's Earnhardt, slips in four, Mast goes for the outside. Rick tries the outside, he can't get it, he draws to the inside at the straight. Earnhardt wins by a car lane, holding off Rick Mast, and Dale Earnhardt will celebrate his record-tying seventh NASCAR Winston Cup championship with a victory here in Rockingham, North Carolina. Like I said before, I'm going to have to get dedicate this to Neil Bonnet. Uh, he was a, he was a uh, great in, greatest I ever known. He's a great friend of mine. Uh, this race team has done such a great job. Jim Goodwrench, Richard Childers, everybody involved, my family, my mom, and everybody supporting us. Teresa, she's been so great for me. I got so many things, so many people to thank. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. We won seven and done it here at Rockingham.
You said the other day you didn't want to talk about what a seventh championship would mean until you got it. You've got it now. What do you think? We can talk about it all day long now. <laughs> talk about it all the way to New Mexico. Tell me what it means to you now to have tied this record and, and really to go down in history as the as one of the greatest drivers this sport has ever known. Well, I don't know about that, but we sure have uh, been enjoying what we do, and uh, it's, it's, it's kind of, this racing's great. Winston Cup racing's my kind of racing. I, I can't say enough about everybody involved with it, NASCAR, everybody in Winston. They do such a great job with it. Uh, hell, I'm proud to be a part of it. I wouldn't change nothing. Last question would be, all the other championships you won, did you ever clinch one by winning the race? What a thrill that is. Well, it's great to be number one all the way around on that race day. The two Titans held the record for another decade. But as Jimmy Johnson claimed his sixth championship in 2013, NASCAR Nation anticipated the inevitable. In 2016, the California-born off-road racer turned stock car pilot joined the King and the Intimidator on Mount NASCAR. One to go. The white flag is out here at Homestead Miami Speedway. Jimmy Johnson trying to make history and win the championship for the seventh time. He's in turn number one. Johnson rockets to the bottom of the racetrack. Kyle Larson trying to rally speed in the outside lane, but it's not there. Off turn number two, it's Jimmy Johnson with the lead. Here they come off the end of the back straightaway for the final time here in Homestead. It's Jimmy Johnson with the lead and a walk-off for the ages as he hits the main straightaway. They've been fighting adversity all weekend long. They've come through every one of the problems and they come home victorious. Jimmy Johnson wins at Homestead and scores on history-making seventh championship, tying the late Dale Earnhardt and Richard Petty. Amazing the way this thing turned out. Jimmy Johnson does it again. I, I am just floored that we're here. I mean, I thought <laughs> it wasn't gonna be our night tonight. This is the way things were going. But I mean, you can't, you can't quit. This team never quits. And to fight through all those restarts at the end and get the lead and win this race, um, it, it means the world to me to tie Earnhardt and Petty. These guys are uh, legends of our sport, grew our sport and made it what it is today. For guys like myself to come along and compete, I am so thankful for their legacy, for their families, their dedication to the sport, and the opportunities it's provided me and my family. And to join those guys, man, I, I just hope I can, I can carry the banner, carry the torch as they have. Um, this is just absolutely incredible. Winston Kelly recalls how the feat sent a shockwave through the sport and proved for all that Johnson was the real deal. The excitement Jimmy had in victory lane is something that I'll never forget. And the respect that he was showing for who he tied. He had, you know, obviously I'm a big fan of the history of the sport given where I work, but the respect that he had for Richard and Dale and how that came out in his interview and then him presenting us the flag that they had presented to him that he drove around the track with, you know, that big oversized flag, him presenting that to us to keep in our archives uh, at the NASCAR Hall of Fame has started a tradition that we get something after every uh, Miami championship race. But just uh, – and, and his acknowledgement, he didn't have the best car. There wasn't any gloating or anything about it. But there, there's clearly a recognition. He put himself in a position to win, and he had one heck of a restart, and nobody was going to catch him. But he still wasn't. He was the, the fourth best of the four cars, but, you know, put himself in a position, and, and that's why he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. That's why he's won 
83 races and seven championships. Steve Post patrolled the number 48 pit at Homestead Miami Speedway. And when Johnson crossed the finish line, the Hendrick Motorsports crew reaction was epic. It was unreal to me. Okay, we, with MRN, our format is we jump up on the pit box and try to get the crew chief. Okay, and that's my goal. That's my mission. I climbed up onto the pit box and Rick Hendrick, Jeff Gordon, and Chad Knaus are hugging each other and jumping up and down. And it's one of those moments, and I've thought back on this a lot of times. It's one of those moments where I decided not to move my way in and get that crew chief. It's Rick Hendrick, Jeff Gordon, Chad Knaus, and Steve Post. Who doesn't belong in this combination, in this conversation, in this moment? So I literally took a step back to the corner of the pit box and just described what was happening and sent it back to the booth. And I, and I love that I had that moment, and I love that I did not interrupt their moment of that seventh championship. MRN's Kim Kuhn was along Homestead's pit road and recalls the utter disbelief by the 48 crew. Being down on pit road um, in the closing laps of that victory where he got his seventh championship and the team was just on the edge of their seats and then went insane. Because again, at the beginning of that race, nobody thought Jimmy had a shot after kind of what went down and what played out during that race. So again, he's a living legend and I'm so thankful that I've not only gotten to witness one of his championships, I also got to witness his championship back in 2013 when I worked for Sprint and was part of that celebration too. So it's been very cool. And fingers crossed that while I'm in the sport, Jimmy is able to get that elusive eighth championship. It happens. But now Straight Talk Wireless's new Platinum Unlimited plan includes phone protection. Just 65 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, data, and more. Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. See mobile protect terms and conditions at assurance.com slash straight talk. Limitations and exclusions apply. At some point in the next few years. MRN's 50 years of NASCAR coverage has inspired moments where the radio call becomes just as iconic as the race itself. Like the classic battle between Daryl Waltrip and Dale Earnhardt at Richmond in 1986. Now Waltrip gets it to the side of Earnhardt again. Earnhardt's car skitters on the rear. He gathers it back in. And it's still Earnhardt leading Waltrip by a half car length for three. These two will dish it out and Earnhardt will make him work for every inch of real estate. There's going to be some red, yellow, blue, all colors of paint between those two before this one is over. As they go back into turn number one, they get together again. They're off two. Waltrip passing inside, spot covered. They're alongside of each other. They do not touch this time. Waltrip will win the drag race to turn three. Earnhardt gets him. Hard into the wall goes Waltrip. Hard goes Earnhardt. Everybody else spins either way. Five, six cars involved, and now there's caution on the speedway. Rutman and Bodine are in it. Rutman spins across the racetrack and tags Buddy Arrington. All five of the cars in the lead lap, except Kyle Petty, are in it. Here comes Kyle Petty. He's the race leader. He will come around and take the caution flag as Earnhardt, Waltrip, Bodine, and Rutman crash at turn three. One year later, Earnhardt provided the on-track drama motivating Barney Hall to utter the infamous pass in the grass in the final laps of the Winston All-Star Clash at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Elliott is still there, right in the tire tracks of Earnhardt. Now to the inside they go, the cars touch. They both maintain the right direction. And off turn number two, Earnhardt leads and it's Labonte and Richmond moving. Physical indeed as Elliott made his move and tagged into Earnhardt. That gave the opening to Tim Richmond. He moves up on the inside of Bill Elliott, tries to get the spot. Elliott draws back in front. Now Elliott goes after Earnhardt as they come out of turn four. 
Earnhardt is using every inch of racetrack, and Elliott gets together with him. Earnhardt goes off in the grass, brings the car back onto the speedway, and keeps it in a straight line and holds onto the lead. Unbelievable. They're back in one. Simply remarkable. Back into the corner they go. Elliott is again there, right behind Earnhardt. Again, Labonte trying to peel off number two corner to the inside of Tim Richmond. That's a battle for third, and now Earnhardt and Elliott are side by side. The no points big money Winston event always inspired aggression and a devil-may-care attitude among drivers. In the 1989 edition of the Spring Clash, Rusty Wallace and Daryl Waltrip gave the fans a show and gave radio listeners an earful. Down the back straightaway, Wallace holding on, trying to find a way around the Tide Chevrolet. They reach the end of the backstretch into turn three. Waltrip's car slides up to the top of the groove. Here comes Wallace, pinching it down low. This time he's going to get a fender alongside. They touch. Waltrip is sideways. Wallace drives through. Waltrip spinning to the infield grass. Darrell Waltrip with the brakes locked up, sliding down the front straightaway grass as Rusty Wallace continues on. Now, Caution was on the speedway as Wallace came across the stripe. Waltrip now stops in the middle of the racetrack and the pickup car the race leader will be Wallace remember you have to have 10 green flag laps and they did give Rusty Wallace the caution Elmo Langley the pace car driver will pick up Wallace in the turn which means that we do have turn number two. He's four car lengths in front of Kenny Schrader. Meanwhile, Bill Elliott has made the pass on Alan Kowicki to pick up the fourth spot. Darrell Waltrip has moved into seventh. Up front, it's Rusty Wallace, two car lengths over Ken Schrader, off turn four for the final time. Here they come out of turn number four. Rusty Wallace ahead by two car lengths, and he is going to win the Winston. Finishing second will be Kenny Schrader. Earnhardt will finish third. Almost a door-to-door -door finish back there for fourth spot. Bill Elliott will grab it, and finishing fifth unofficially should be Alan Kowicki. So Rusty Wallace has won the Winston here. Caught up with Darrell Waltrip. Darrell, simply, what happened? I just hope he chokes on that 200,000. That's all I can tell him. Your car was really running good. It looked like he got just a little bit high in turn four. Yeah, that's what happened. But you did, he did touch you. <laughs> no, he knocked the hell out of me. That's Darrell Waltrip. It's real controversial. This is the Winston. We just got tight, run out of room, two laps to go, and I was going for it, and he was here. We both ran out of racetrack. Sorry it happened to him, but, you know, I did everything I could, and I brought it home number one. But uh, fans don't like it, and they didn't like what happened in 87. It's just racing. EW and I have had a, a great talk about that 89 Winston. We laughed a lot about it. Uh, obviously, that day, there was no laughing. I mean, he was really mad at me, and I was all jacked up, and I was just going for the win. I mean, I remember going in that race with a lot of pressure on us, and I think the thing was so cool for me, probably which created the pressure, was that I had such a fast car. In the first, uh, there was three segments. The first segment, I just took off and won the race. The second segment, the car wasn't handling right. And on a pit stop, we found that we accidentally switched the right side tires. We had the right front tire and the right rear and the right rear on the right front, which made the car handle crazy. But when I got word on the radio that that was the problem and then we get the car all straightened back out, it, it gave me a lot of confidence. So going into the last segment, the car took off flying again. And I had to run DW down to get to him. Well, I'll tell you, once I got to his bumper, I'm like, man, go for it. It's all about this money. Go, 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 go. I thought I might bump into him. I didn't think I'd spin him out, but I did. Went into a long, long spin. I got the money. Fans were all mad at me. It was a real mess, but it took about two weeks, and, and uh, I remember me and Daryl sitting on a golf cart on the pit road of Pocono, Pennsylvania, laughing about it, and the people couldn't believe it. The fans were watching us out there on pit road going, these guys are supposed to hate each other, but they're, they're laughing it up right now. What's that all about? But... You know, in NASCAR, you have a big problem one week, you better get over it the following week because you got 36 races and you can't carry a grudge. For Dale Earnhardt fans, another standout event was the 2000 Clash on the high banks of Talladega. 
Earnhardt schooled the field in the final laps as he drafted his way from 15th to the lead and on to victory lane in his final NASCAR win. Mike Skinner guarding the bottom with for everything he's worth, and here comes Dale Earnhardt to the outside. He'll challenge for the lead in three. Dale Earnhardt goes powering high to the outside of Mike Skinner. The fans just beside themselves here at Talladega, jumping up and down, yelling, screaming. Off the corner, they come two by two. You can't tell them apart, Skinner and Earnhardt. This is going to be a whale of a finish. White flag lap as they come down to the line. One to go, racing for the lead in the Winston 500. Contact between Earnhardt Hart Jr. and Skinner. Bobby Labonte tries to sandwich in. Meanwhile, the outside lane is long gone as they get to turn one. Dale Earnhardt leads the way. Now it is Kenny Wallace who moves up to the second position on the final lap of the Winston 500. Joe Nemechek pulls up into the third position. It is a three-car breakaway. Last trip down the backstretch. Decision time at Talladega as Dale Earnhardt tries to do it again. But here comes Kenny Wallace looking to the outside lane. Earnhardt blocks him going into three. Three-car race for the win. Kenny Wallace looking for that breakthrough victory. Earnhardt trying to block him high and low. Nobody jumping out of line. Here come the leaders off the corner. It's going to be a three-way battle for the win. They'll come by the Ted Musgrave car with Earnhardt leading. Here they come into the trioval. Kenny Wallace, one final shot at Dale Earnhardt. Behind him, the whole pack steaming for the finish line. Dale Earnhardt wins it. Earnhardt wins the Winston 500 as there's trouble after the finish. Ward Burton spins, car is spinning, Steve Grissom crashes after the checkered flag. About six cars are involved down in turn number one, but it is over here at Talladega. Dale Earnhardt has won the race. I was very lucky. I, I was very frustrated a lot, but very lucky. Uh, I kept working the, the outside and it didn't work. You got three wide, didn't work. So I started working the middle and I, I knew I had to pass those guys on the inside. I kept working the middle, I kept working the middle, and finally it started moving. And, uh, and then Kenny Wallace got behind us, and boy, when Kenny got behind us, we started to the front. And we just kept working away there and working away there, and we finally got it to the front. And Kenny hung on. I, you know, he, he's going to try to make a move down the back straightaway, but I kept moving, and he just couldn't really run and make a run on me. And um, it worked out. And then he stuck with me through the uh, three and four and back to the line. And For Alan Bestwick, Earnhardt's performance to the final checkers of his career was a testament to his amazing abilities. Where the broadcast booths were at Talladega, where the start finish line was, is at pit exit down toward turn one. So when you're looking across at turn three, it's a pretty long look. You know, you could kind of see the whole field top to bottom. And what I remember most about that day is looking from the broadcast booth out across turn three, and it seemed like every time they went through turn three, he was passing two or three cars. And I'm sure I'm my memory's exaggerated that over the years. My memory is looking across the track every time he went through turn three. There he goes again. There he goes again. And it was one of the most thrilling last laps finishes you could, you could want to see, right? One of the sport's all-time greats just, just showing them how it's done. And yeah, sure, a Alabama was Earnhardt country. Uh, he, he was without any mean, any question an honorary member of the Alabama gang where the fans were concerned. That booth we were in on top of those grandstands was vibrating from the noise and the people cheering and yelling and the cars coming by. And, but I just remember every time you went through turn three, there he goes again. For MRN veteran Dan Hubbard, NASCAR Nation's love of Dale Earnhardt was most evident at Talladega Super Speedway. Anytime the Intimidator took the lead, you knew it. Pretty early in my career, and I was asked to work turn four at Talladega. In fact, I was substituting for Eli Gold. He had to call a game at uh, Alabama. 
and it had been a pretty good race. Now this was back in the day when we used to pack the houses. And I know they had, I know easily they had more than 100,000 people there. It was a good race. You could tell Earnhardt was moving to the front. He'd been kind of in the top five all day and he's going down the back stretch and he takes the lead into turn three. And it was my turn to talk. And I said something like, it has been a high speed freight train all afternoon. And now Dale Earnhardt is your new engineer. 100,000 just erupted. Just, and I, man, I got goosebumps all over my whole body. And the blood just dropped from my head all the way down to my feet. I had never experienced that. And they don't care who said it. They were cheering for Dale Sr. But it was just, they kind of used my call as the cue to just lose it. You know, I mean, that place just went crazy. That was, I'll always remember that. I'll always remember that. Next time on MRN Presents 50 Years, the voice of NASCAR, we'll explore the lighter side of MRN and revisit some of the funniest moments on and off the air. Until then, I'm Fred Armstrong. Have a great week. Richard Petty goes back in front. They both spin. They're in the wall. Petty is sliding, slamming into the wall. He's coming down toward the finish line. Will he make it? He's still moving. The car stops 300, 400 feet shy of the finish line. This program was a presentation of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and Daytona Beach, Florida. And now it appears we may have a fist fight. We see drivers and helmets, safety officials trying to jump in there and separate them as tempers have really flared after this amazing incident on the final lap coming into turn number three. MRN presents 50 Years, the voice of NASCAR was written and produced by Alexa Henrian. Dale Earnhardt comes to the white flag and the caution flag and Dale Earnhardt is going to win the Daytona 500 in his 20th try. Any use of the accounts or descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network. And now more straight talk from Straight Talk. The big wireless companies say they're the only way to get the best coverage. Because they've got like a kajillion cell towers? Something like that. But Straight Talk Wireless runs on those same towers, so you get the same great networks for up to 50% less. I wonder if they're counting that one in Kickapoo, Kansas. Oh, boy. Switch today and get our unlimited plan for just 45 bucks a month with 25 gigs at high speeds and no contract. Straight Talk Wireless, no contract, no compromise. Savings may vary. See straighttalk.com.